Hello and welcome to the Hot Week podcast. I'm Hot Week editor Matt Appleby and today I'm with Lee Stiles from Lee Valley Growers Association. Now the Hot Week podcast is the leading podcast for the whole industry um, and we talk to interesting people and about um, important issues every week. So welcome Lee. Thanks very much and thanks for inviting me on. It's a it's an absolute honour. <laughs> Superb. Well, it's great to have you. And you've been a really outspoken voice about the state of the UK protected salads sector. And I was just thinking, you know, last winter there were shortages uh, on the shelves in supermarkets and uh, became a massive national news story. And um, you were everywhere really representing the industry really well. So um, could that happen again? I think it's already happening. Unfortunately, I think we're we're seeing a repeat of of what what happened last year in February and March. Um, I think it's going to happen again, but I think with the border controls coming in, it's probably going to last for longer this year. Wow, why why do you think that will be? Um, I just think that there's going to be a lot more delays. I think that there's. Um, already issues in um, Europe and uh, North Africa with regards to viruses and uh, market prices as well. So I think that most of the issues that happened last year looks as as though they're going to happen again. Um, But the one thing that hasn't changed is that the production volumes for British growers haven't increased. So there's simply going to be a gap. And how retailers deal with that is either to pay more to to make sure that the shelves are stocked or take a decision not to and um, just have empty shelves as a business as usual so how are the uk growers reacting our our growers are, are stable now we've had two years of decline where a lot of family businesses small family businesses have closed so and and that's replicated um, pretty much across Europe. You've seen um, demonstrations in Holland, France, uh, Germany, and, and Italy from farmers and growers uh, for, for for all sorts of different reasons. But the the common denominator is mainly that they're, they're smaller producers, they're kind of family farms, and the policies that are happening at the moment are just not in their favour and they're, they're, they are unable to, to make uh, the business viable anymore. So so we've seen over the last couple of years, quite a few of our family growers have uh, ceased trading. And the ones that are left are basically setting their business model for what they can do. So instead of chasing volume and, um, you know, trying to, trying to get the price um down as much as they can then they're not they're just simply dealing with what they've got so instead of investing in new machinery and packing lines and and things like that they're kind of concentrating on keeping their heads above water at the moment but the uk government has made some efforts to try and tackle um issues within the supply chain and um with labour reports as well. I mean, what what do you make of the government's reaction? Um, it it's been too little, too late for a lot of the the smaller producers. Is is the is the simple reality? There's they've recently, well, just this week, they've introduced um, horticulture. They've placed horticulture on the energy intensive scheme 
again, it's a competition-based scheme in order to transition from fossil fuels, which requires a large amount of capital investment. Um, and there's also um, other grant schemes that are coming on, which again are competition-based, but they really do need uh, a, a lot of funding uh, to go into them. And um, I think it's kind of avoiding the underlying problem of low prices. And regardless of the efficiencies that you can make in your business, if you, if, if, at the end of that, if you can't achieve an, a, a good enough price in order to make a profit and, and invest or pay back that investment, then you're simply not going to do it. We have seen quite big food inflation over the last year or more. And, um, but what is happening there? Who is making the money? I could tell you who isn't making the money, <laughs> and that's that's the primary producers. It's it, it's the growers. There's a, a lot of retailers now are not are not dealing with the growers directly. They're 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 employing intermediaries to to negotiate prices now. So there 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 isn't there isn't any longer a, a direct relationship with with the retailer, which is which is concerning because. Every, it's becoming even more price driven. So, um, you know, loyalty and standards of um, service and uh, things like that just don't seem to be a consideration. It's we're, we're kind of 10 years into a supermarket price war and it seems to be it seems to be getting worse. What can the government do to um, sort out the supply chain issues? The government needs to take a long look at uh the, the relationship between the primary producer and the retailer. There's just not enough profit in the supply chain for everyone at the moment. And it means that the trend of British producers closing down is, is going to accelerate and, it, and it's going to extend for longer. And that has implications with our food security reducing, um, our our self-sufficiency reducing and the, the the way the world is at the moment one thing you don't want to be short of is is food so the the days of importing over half of what we need and um, it's just not sustainable in the long term or in a crisis can the government set prices can they inter intervene that much well if you look at um lost leader legislation around around the world you've got countries that that do um have legislation that stops retailers at selling uh, at less than the cost of purchase and, and that's in order to protect their farmers and growers so in in france canada australia other countries around the world they're already doing that there just doesn't seem to be an appetite from governments to to follow in this country um, they're, they're more interested in a in a free market let the market decide well as we saw last year the market decided to put the prices up and we decided not to pay them and there's a general election coming up in 2024 so do you think that will make any difference do you think there'll be pledges to help or do you think the Labour Party if they get in will make a difference I, I really don't know what their plans are um, uh, or what what they intend to do differently to what's happening at the moment. I think they've 
whoever comes in next is going to inherit quite a mess as far as um, the supply chain is concerned. And it's going to need um, some brave decisions, I think. So I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen. As I was saying, you've, you've been a, an ardent campaigner for the industry, um, you know, a, a loud voice on behalf of the industry. So just stepping back a bit, how did you get into it all? Um, well, I'm, I've got 30 years experience in um, financial services. And about 17 years ago, I saw an advert to, um, to work for the National Farmers Union. And, and it came with two jobs. It came with a, a job in the, on the insurance side, and it came with a job on the NFU union side, which was to support and promote uh, farmers and growers in, in your particular region. So that sounded fantastic, walking around the countryside in summer and that kind of thing. So, uh, so I went for it, and, and after, a, after a year or so, the Lee Valley Growers job uh, came up, and um, and I went for that. So and I've been there ever since. So is that? Are you from that area? Are you connected to that that area particularly? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was born. I was well born in London, but brought up in Epping Forest, which is um, part of the Lee Valley. Um, but I suppose my my link is that my uh, grandparents, or or rather my nan worked as a land girl in the Lee Valley tomato glass houses during the Second World War uh, and always used to tell the story of being blown out of the glass house by by what they thought was a doodle bug at the time um, however we had we had a we had a centenary book written about 10 years ago and the author um, well unfortunately for me said that it, it was probably more likely that it was a it was a blast from the local munitions factory that uh, that blew all the glass out. So uh, I, I'm going to stick to my nan's story. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a better story. So how's how's the job changed over the last few years? Um, it's it's got a lot more stressful. I think when you're when when you look after a a, a group of growers that are so uh, linked, it's very specialist. They're all in the same business it's not like you looking after different sectors of farming at the same time it's it's purely glass houses it's it's mainly salad growers we have about 10 percent ornamentals but it's it's largely salad growers that i look after and they're all experiencing the same problems whether it's energy labor prices and it's um it, it is it is a stressful time it's uh you you obviously are are more linked to um, your customers as you would be in any other industry, I suppose. So you kind of feel their pain um, when when they're struggling to to make a living. Would you say they are the three biggest priorities for you to campaign on energy, labour, and prices? Yeah, I think so. There's uh, uh, prior to say two three years ago, um, they could largely control. Um, the labour and, and, and energy prices, they were pretty stable, they were pretty low, labour was abundant. Um, so they, they weren't really concerns for them there because they were within their control. 
And even prices, to some extent, a lot of the retailers uh, seem to value long-term relationships and quality and um, being able to, you know, fulfill your promises of delivering when you say you're going to deliver and uh, finding the volume that they want at short notice. But all of those factors seem to have fallen away over the last couple of years. And it and it just does seem to be that the price is king and regardless of um, anything else that goes with it. And traditionally, the NFU has a, a loud voice within DEFRA in particular. So why is that not being heard on that particular issue at the moment? Well, it's difficult to, to understand whether it's DEFRA that's not listening or whether it's the, the government that's not li- listening to DEFRA. It's, uh, I, I go on many DEFRA calls and, and lots of them seem to be aligned with what the farmers and growers are saying. It seems to be that when policies are announced by the government, they, they just seem to be in the complete opposite direction. So um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a particular DEFRA basher because, you know, we speak to them and um, we kind of seem to be on the same page to, to a large extent. Um, I just, I just think it falls down at the the final hurdle. A lack of joined up government, do you think? Well, I think the government has so many different um, interest groups that are all vying for um, their voice to be heard. I think sometimes uh, logic and reality takes a back seat to um, whoever is whoever is after what at that particular time. Um, Obviously, labour and seasonal workers doesn't fit with the whole Brexit um, argument. So that's something that gets overlooked or um, delayed to the last minute. Um, and energy, uh, it, energy is just a mess, really, because we gr- growers have got fantastic opportunities to reduce the use of fossil fuels. I mean, uh, even the ones that are using fossil fuels are capturing co2 and putting it back into the plant so you know there's there's great opportunities there i just don't understand why there is so much focus on food production as far as carbon is concerned just looking back at the supermarkets what what is their incentive to 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 beat the growers down on price so so much other than competition with with other supermarkets because in the end you know they talk about having british grown as, as a as a you know as a, as a good thing but if there aren't any british growers then where, where do they go from there i i think that the 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 whole shareholder return as a market share has just overtaken any value on provenance at all i think yeah for for public relations purposes British is is something that's promoted because, you know, that brings out the, the customer's sense of patriotism, and um, and most shoppers will probably tell you they want to buy British, but most supermarkets will tell you that they just want the cheapest price. So, um, I mean, we we will see. I mean, there's been very small steps made with supermarkets having sort of buy British buttons or British sections. Um, which is which is kind of a, a step on from having pictures of the grower on packaging and um, and ha- and having the um, county of um, production prominent on the on the packet. 
it's just a step forward from that. But the, in in private, the, the retailers will say that that you know price is the main concern of the consumer, especially in the cost of living crisis. So to to sum up, what would you like to see from the government's horticulture sort of supply chain review and and indeed the government's reaction to the Labour review, the the Shropshire report? I think the government has to recognise that not just uh, agriculture and horticulture, but many industries in the UK um, need overseas labour and they will do for some time. The, The robots are not coming anytime soon. Uh, British workers don't want seasonal work. Um, they want a full-time job. They don't necessarily want a manual job either. So, I mean, as as a sector, we we have to do more to to promote the roles within horticulture, and there has to be a, a, a an educational path towards them, or a, or a career path towards them. But these are very very difficult things to do when you've got an industry that is literally living hand to mouth on a on a monthly basis okay no well that's uh that's great insight lee it's been fantastic talking to you and it's as i say it's always great to hear your passion for the industry and uh, how well you represent the industry what how do you sort of go about kind of representing the industry within the media then do, you, do they do they get in touch with you now because you're you're you know you're 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 you know, you you have represented it so well in the past. Well, I have to say, in the last two years, I haven't had to pitch a story at all. <laughs> um, I've I've just been inundated with um, requests for for interviews and and filming, etc., from all sorts of media outlets. So, uh, you know, it's not as if I've had to go out there and push the story. The the the, the story is just you know it's there and. Everyone wants to to know what's actually happening on the ground rather than what the BRC comes out and says or what government says or or what the supermarkets say. So, um, But it is difficult because you're trying to tread a path of um, being real and, and telling people exactly what's happening, but you also don't want to spook your customers into thinking that you're not going to be here next year. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a fine line. What's the most interesting places you've appeared around the world on in media outlets? Well, I think the, I think the, the funniest one for me was a Canadian um, TV show that, that I, I filmed about eight o'clock at night, our time, which I think went out at lunchtime over there. And it was when Therese Coffey had made her turnip statement. And they, they, and they asked me, well, what, what do you think of the, um, of the DEFRA secretary? And I said, well, you know, she doesn't understand that glass houses have been here a long time. She doesn't think there's a market failure in um, egg production. And she's told us all to eat turnips. And I think they, they kind of, I, I don't think they realised that all of those things were true because they kind of said, okay, well, for time reasons, we'll have to stop now. <laughs> So I, th- I think they thought that I'd uh, lost it a bit. Let, let them eat turnips, cracking. So, <laughs> so at the end of the um, whole week podcast, Lee, we always ask, um, you know, what, what's what's our the favourite plant of our of our subject of the podcast? It's not turnips, is it? Absolutely not. No, I mean, it, it, coming from the the cucumber, cucumber capital of Britain, it has to be the cucumber plant. I think it's uh, it's the one that I see. On a on a daily basis, sometimes uh, during the season. So, and for me, it's it's fascinating because 
you can you can see a cucumber grow from a flower to 30 centimeters long in you know five days it's just uh it's just an amazing plant do you grow them yourself i don't i think the irony is that anything i touch dies as far as uh as far as plants are concerned. <laughs> so, um, um, you know, I didn't get the job for my horticultural skills. We'll leave it, we'll leave it to the experts, and you're the expert communicator. So it's been great having you on, Lee. So that's Lee Styles from the Lee Valley Growers Association, and I'm Matt Appleby, Hot Week editor, and um, this has been a Hot Week podcast. So make sure you never miss a Hot Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Hot Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. So once again, thanks to Lee Styles, and until next time. Bye.